ah, yes, my camera is not on, but that's okay. Because I wanted everybody to know that I am here with um, quantum computing researcher. She's been doing quantum computing research for how long has it been now? Like 11 years, you said? I think it's been 11 years now. It's been a very long, random journey to get to where I am today. That's amazing. And like usually the way that this goes is I give kind of a brief introduction, but your CV looks like it's about a mile long. So <laughs> uh, I'm, going, I'm going to officially outsource that to you. Sounds good. Uh, yeah. So like I mentioned, uh, wow. it's a long story and it started out uh, my first year in college. Mm -hmm. I actually came in as a computer science major. Uh, I was really into robotics in high school and building robots. And I was like, I want to keep doing that and started taking those courses, realized I really want to use computer science more as a tool mm -hmm. instead of just doing it straight out and started doing research. So I just started emailing professors, ended up working in a chemical engineering lab, actually, you know, topically during the swine flu outbreak. Oh, wow. How so, about that? Yeah, I was doing uh, transdermal drug delivery during that time, uh, microneedle patches to deliver vaccines. So we got the first shipment of swine flu vaccine from uh, the CDC because I was in Atlanta, Georgia wow, Tech for my undergrad. Is, wow, this is uh, quite apropos. Oh, yeah, exactly. Perfect timing. And You should go back to where you were so and do the same thing with the COVID-19. I, <laughs> I know. I need to come full circle. So if anyone yeah. has a chemical research lab you know I can wow. work in it okay. seems like the right time <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah so I ended up taking physics one my second semester my freshman year and was like oh I'm actually good at this you know mm -hmm. so my dad's a physics professor you as said well, that with a sigh you're like oh I'm good at this <laughs> well, well I've been around physicists my entire life with oh, my dad okay. being a physics professor right oh, really? so uh, right on. I yeah and so it was in the department and I I just mm. never really gotten deep into the physics part and high school yet mm -hmm. i took the the classes you're required to but got, got like i mentioned really into robotics mm -hmm. so i thought it'd be more than that but i took the class and was like ah oh, yeah so i'm good at this like, <laughs> maybe i should check it out and i just started randomly emailing professors in the department after my chemical engineering stint saying wow. you know i want to do research in your lab do you have any open positions and this was the end of my freshman year. So it's really, really not common to start research that early. Right, yeah. Yeah, so I emailed a optics lab, I believe, and they said, well, we really want you to go through third year. You've taken optics. And another professor, I kind of emailed him, said, you know, I know how to solder. That's my skill set. Well, right do on. That. I don't, uh, well, I know how to melt stuff, so. Yeah, and I was like, I don't, I don't know anything about anything that you're doing. I just know you're kind of a cool professor and you're doing <laughs> interesting things. Can I join your lab? And yeah. he said yes. So I started that really? summer. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. So it's, it's not, but I got lucky just you know, sure. emailing and and putting myself out there and saying I wanted to work in this lab. And it was a quantum optics and quantum telecommunication lab. Mm. And how old were you at this time? You were just like eighteen, nineteen, right? I was 17 because I started college at 16. Oh yeah. my goodness. I yeah. Wow. Oh, I did not know this about you. Very impressive. <laughs> yeah. So I ended up graduating high school after three years. As it turns out, you can just do that oh. and they can't really stop you as long as you have the credits. Huh. And I did and I applied to tech and got in. And so here we are. Tech. So uh, what university did you go to? Georgia Tech. Oh, okay. 
Uh, are you yep. are you currently living in Georgia? No, you're not. You're in California now. What am I thinking? Nope. I've met you. I, I've actually met her in real life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you flew from Georgia for all I know. Um, yeah. Well, that would be quite a trip. But no, I'm. Um, yeah, Serafina uh, set up the science Twitter meetup. You yeah. came up from L.A. Yeah. Yeah. And I we actually live like half a mile away from each other. So. Oh, really? You know, wow. Yeah, we're right here in Berkeley, right next to each other. So it's, it's been nice to have that science community of us all here. And especially post-hangout, now that we all know each other, it's so much fun. Right, yeah. Uh, actually, um, it was incumbent upon me to set up a L.A. meetup, but I was my responsibility was somewhat bailed out by the COVID-19 crisis. So, got to do it. Yeah, I know I will, but um, I, I can't do it now. We all have to keep our distance from one another, um, yeah. as we should do. So, okay. So... Um, to get the ball rolling, uh, you sounds like you have a very, very long, li- very interesting kind of life story. Um, and so I'm just going to start um, by asking kind of out of university, like when your career kind of started to become, you know, a career out of university, uh, what, where did you start and where did you land at uh, in terms of, and, and was it always quantum computing and how much quantum computing was in there? Yeah, definitely. So when I started after my freshman year, I was working in quantum telecom lab. So it was doing similar things. So quantum computing can be done in neutral atoms or nitrogen vacancy centers or superconducting qubits. And what we were doing is quantum telecommunications, so long distance quantum communication. So instead of doing computations close by, what we did is, is we entangled two qubits and sent one far away and, and figured out how long and like how far we could actually send them away. Right. And so this is actually the basis to a lot of the quantum computing research, especially in neutral atoms. Right. Yeah. So it's, I guess um, let me um, uh, because I, I had Deeper Sodden here earlier, who's also into quantum computing, but I like getting everybody's kind of elevator pitch for what is quantum computing? Like, like, what is the goal? If you had to say it in a minute, um, what is it? So just so for the listeners who are uh, definitely not me, um, <laughs> familiar with quantum computing. <laughs> yeah, so quantum computing is, the, the basic premise of it is to be able to solve problems that right now or ever can't be solved by classical computing systems. So there's a certain subset of problems that quantum computing can solve that classical computers will never be able to solve. Just like as and a so, matter of practicality or like as a matter of, like it'll that, just like take the heat death of the universe? Exactly. So okay. the big the big example is Shor's algorithm, which does prime factorization. So a mm. lot of our encryption, why it's super secure, is doing the prime factors mm-hmm. of these cr- encryption keys will take you know trillions of years, and right. so no one's ever going to do that. <laughs> Quantum computing, maybe one day, you know, maybe we, some grad student will sit down and just <laughs> for a trillion years let the code run. Right. Or or you know maybe there's some math concepts that we. You know, okay. And so how go. does the quantum come into solving these problems that, you know, nothing else, like that, that, that classical uh, algorithms can't solve? Like, yeah. Yeah. So, so it does computations differently, right? Um, so because of there, there's really these two concepts that come into play with quantum computing. It's the superposition. So in regular computing, you have the zero, the one, mm-hmm. usually represented by zero volts, five volts, mm-hmm. and you can be in one of those states. Mm-hmm. In quantum computing, you could be anywhere in between. So mm. you're in the superposition, and you have a certain probability mm-hmm. of being, you know, in the zero or the one right. state. And so when you entangle the qubits, their states actually depend on each other. So you can do a lot of interesting mm. things 
to affect each other's state. I see. And figured that out. So the the algorithms themselves look very different than algorithms you're familiar with. Right. Um, and so it's it's kind of interesting because there's certainly a different mindset on the theory side that I think you have to have to, like, how can you imagine writing an algorithm for a system that doesn't really exist yet? Right. Okay. I see what you're So I imagine that in some sense it takes, and this could be something I'm about to say that's really, really dumb. Um, it takes, in some sense, the same kind of logic as parallel processing, um, but not all, because, I mean, in parallel processing, you know, you still have either, you know, this path is taken or that path is taken. Maybe they're not done yet. You know, in quantum computing, you have, okay, well, we know the initial wave function. We know the initial kind of weights on, you know, being up and down. Right. Um, I don't know how I could even, you know, reasonably apply the word algorithm to that. Uh, right with, without the, making it collapse the, in eigenstate or something right right yeah. and the seats are entangled with each other right the the parallel processing i think the biggest thing to take away from quantum computing uh if you learn nothing else is like it's not about trying all the possibilities at the same time like parallel computing ah uh, okay yeah so that's the one thing that's that's what you hear a lot of pop science people saying yeah and it's just yeah it's just a completely different way of solving the the problem and and the yeah, the, the entanglement, the states all depend on each other. So mm -hmm. as you grow, you're able to have way more state, you know, the grow right. the qubit system, you have way more states available. And uh, yeah, the, there's this calculation that uh, it's two to the n for the number of bits that uh, two to the n and being the number of qubits is how many bits. So as you get up to 50 qubit, 100 qubits, you have so many kind of bits of power. Mm -hmm there um but yeah the algorithms are just so different so right. we do we do have dozens of dozens of them already but again we don't have a device that's capable of running a lot of these algorithms yet that's really interesting um so and there is you know and there are certain algorithms i guess uh that are already um i guess on a large data set that they can solve these things like it's like it's demonstrable that a quantum computing algorithm can solve these things faster than its classical analog. Yes. It's yes, given certain conditions. Like, uh, what? Uh, meet, I mean, don't enumerate them all, but I mean, I guess, but... Yeah, I, uh, so there, there's a thing about, like I mentioned, coherence time, and that's the length right. of time you can store quantum information. Mm. So that has to be long enough to be able to do, it's, it's similar to classical computing that we do have gates and operations right, that we right. can run, so you have to you know, mm -hmm. do that, you have to make sure the gate itself doesn't decohere the system, right? So the right. problem with, with quantum is that as soon as you observe it, yeah, yeah. the state collapses and the calculation is valid anymore. Mm -hmm. But observing, when you're thinking about it, it's not just a measurement, right? The right. reason in the hardware we cool these systems down a lot is because atoms bumping into each other is observing each right, other in right, some right. way. Yeah, the, yeah, of course. the cooler we can get it, the less the atoms can move. Okay. The, you know, the longer the coherence time will be. So that's what I did in my okay. uh, undergrad research was, you know, ultra high vacuum systems. You just take out all the right. atoms in the system, slow them down, trap them in lasers, you trap them using lasers and do that. Same thing now. We have creostats for superconducting qubits. You cool it down to millikelvin okay. temperatures. Wow. And and you just, you know, try and get the coherence time as long as possible. Wow. And beyond that, you're still going to have errors, right? So the Another issue with that is classical error correction is easy. You take a string of bits, you copy them, 
a few times and you go, well, the bit's corrupted here, you know, that's fine. We have other copies and there's ways to check, you know, to see which one's the, the correct co copy. There's a concept in quantum called no cloning theorem, which yeah, means right. we can't actually <laughs> do yeah. that, right? Right. So error correction is a lot harder. Yeah, and so okay. there's there's a couple, you know, error correcting codes and that's a whole like level of research. I have a lot of friends in error correcting yeah. and it blows my mind what they're doing, but there's a couple codes that take seven qubits, uh, nine qubits to correct just one qubit, right? Whoa. So when you look at, yeah. <laughs> And it, and it gets worse from there, honestly. Like, that's a good case scenario. Right, because, I mean, like, the errors compile and they add up, and I imagine. And, exactly. You know. And so you have you have this. So, so when you look at, um, you know, people are scared. They're like, well, Google now has their 50-qubit quantum computer. IBM's building their 50-qubit quantum computer. You know, uh, breaking RSA encryption takes 4,000 qubits, or breaking elliptic curve takes 2,500. Mm. Like, this is, you know, we're so close. It's like, no, it takes 2,500 logical wow. qubits, right? Right, exactly, exactly. That's so not accounting the, for error correction. And exactly. Like that, so yeah. when you actually look at that, it would take, pro, I, I think the estimation is like a million physical qubits. Holy God. So your Bitcoin are safe wow. for now. <laughs> Don't take it out of the market yet. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so we got a couple questions here in the comments. Uh, the first one is by uh, Matt. Uh, he says, uh, is there interest... Uh, in the in in the industry for formally verified quantum programs, I'm not. I I don't know what formally verified quantum programs means exactly. Yeah, I'm not sure either. But quantum programs, I mean, in, industry has had is definitely gaining interest. But even before that, you know, uh, there's a lot of interest in quantum just because it's such a new paradigm of computing. And my viewpoint here is that we don't know yet what we can do with it just because there's, an, and again, that thinking is just so far beyond and people like sure, brilliant and right, can right. think of these things. Of course, yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there's also a few algorithms that are showing promise at smaller scale. So we have this NISC era, noisy intermediate scale, that's what Deep you know, Prasad does, who is on here, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So industry is definitely looking into that. Um, so they they want to look at things like, you know, apply it to their systems. And I think the tough part, I mean, I'm, I'm in industry now, uh, and the tough part is when you walk up to a customer and say, you know, we want to do quantum computing, we want to solve your problem. What problems do you have? They There's kind of a gap in between their understanding of what, a quantum computer can do better mm. uh, and but we don't understand their problems enough to tell them like these systems I see you know so so there's a few one of the big ones people are researching is called variational quantum eigensolver oh I love that name already uh, I love it <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah the great part ab about it is it's a very shallow uh, algorithm and shallow we, we have depths of circuits not that it doesn't give people a chance you know, who may yes. not fit their preferences. Very, very vain algorithm. <laughs> you know, you don't, you don't want to, you know, meet it in the street, but it's very useful. <laughs> um, and yeah, so, so the things you don't have to do a lot of uh, things in a row. A very deep circuit means you'll have to have very long coherence times mm. because you need to do, you know, one okay. gate, then another gate and like in I order. See, see, Shallow yeah. means you don't, you can, you know, it, it's not doesn't have a lot of layers. I see. Um, okay. You can say so. Shor's uh, Shor's algorithm is a very deep circuit, which is why it's going to take a lot of effort to get there. But variation right. quantum eigensolver is 
fairly shallow. And you can feed the results back to a supercomputer, kind of feed it back into variational quantum eigensolver and just do this. Um, And so, you know, medicine and finance are kind of the two fields that you've been seeing getting really interested in these Mm -hmm. quantum computing programs lately. And yeah, so definitely a lot of industry, but it's kind of like that weird, the weird gap right now of understanding and teaching each other and having that communication back and forth between Hertz and, you know, the quantum physicists. I have somewhat of a, it could be another dumb question. Um, uh, It's probable, actually. Um, And is there like a, in any sense, like in the industry, a tension or a sense of competition between machine learning and quantum computing? Sorry, say that again? Is there like in, uh, in the industry a any kind of tension or sense of competition between quantum computing and machine learning? I am not on quantum machine learning, so I'm or not... Or not quantum machine, just like general. Oh, just... Like, yeah, like, I mean, or are they just doing two totally different things that... They're doing totally different things. I mean, quantum computing can do optimization. Right. Um, and there is also a subfield with quantum machine learning, right? And... Sure you have to know regular machine learning (laughs) to do quantum machine learning because there's the algorithm side that there's also like, are we processing quantum information with a classical Uh, ML algorithm? Or do we have a quantum ML algorithm Mm. that's processing Mm. classical information? So there's kind of the back and forth there. I'm not aware of any competition. (laughs) Uh, Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I I guess uh, I was just asking because like it seems like, I mean, you know, like you said, like it's kind of difficult, like uh, one of these common shortfalls, you know, when you're trying to pitch, you know, to, a, I don't know, an industry or something or a company uh, is that they don't like they're not aware, you know, uh, of, of of what quantum computing is really like used for, I guess, uh, and, you know, how far it could reach. Um, but it seems like machine learning is getting a lot of funding, a lot of you know, money getting thrown at it right now. And so I didn't know if maybe there was a bit of jealousy there. But maybe. <laughs> no, I mean, the reality is the quantum devices we have are still very small, right? So it's right. kind of oh, very yeah, early okay, stage enough, there. So, yeah. Um, I think there is some similarities in the field due to the hype. You know, yeah, I've yeah, seen yeah. a lot of companies here in Silicon Valley get funded <laughs> off like two lines of TensorFlow code and saying they're doing machine learning. <laughs> And you're like, okay, I mean, Google is going to eat you up in about 30 seconds if they want to do this or even, you know, making promises that they can't fulfill. And, Mm. you know, we definitely want to be careful in quantum right now because I I think you'll see a lot of physicists say, like, we don't really know yet. Right, right. We hope uh, we have ideas, Mm -hmm. but you can't straight up promise any sort of timelines. You know, there might be a breakthrough tomorrow in fabrication techniques. Right, right. There might be, you know, a certain type of qubit that we realize right now there's there's some competition between um, two of the types, superconducting qubits and trapped Mm -hmm. ions. Um, And now uh, photonics qubits have come out as well. So, you know, maybe one of them will just like boost off and we'll they'll they'll come back and be like we have a million qubits and we're done and this (laughs) this one wins we just don't know that timeline i think a lot of people want to be optimistic and right that's that's also dangerous when you're working with customers and clients yeah no fair enough okay so we got a we 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 got actually uh, quite a few questions here in the comments so uh we have another question here by um bakram uh i hope i said that right um when writing algorithms for quantum computing 
do you have to assume anything about the device you are going to be using? Yes. So there's there's a lot of things there. I was actually talking to some people recently about like quantum compilers and kind of the, the middle firmware. Mm -hmm. Uh, in short, yes, you have to know a lot. So in a lot of these open source programming language, when you're actually running on the back end, there's certain features that you have to know. So for example, the topology and how the qubits are connected. Mm. So if you want to do a gate in between these two qubits, but there's not, you know, they're actually not connected. Right. You'll have to do a swap gate in between them if you really want to use those two, or you're going to have to map them a little differently. I so see. there's a whole field of people who are doing research on like how to efficiently, you know. Oh, that sounds so like, sick! Yeah. Like, oh man, like for like a given material, like I mean, like I mean, I guess like the dumbest thing I can think of is like where you would have to take a material into account is whether or not like it's at zero temperature and how long the quantum coherence time is. Well, that, yeah. yeah. So, so then you have like the gate fidelities and like the qubit fidelity, like how long they can uh, store information. You'll actually yeah. see, interestingly enough, um, in, in I noticed this, you can do gates uh, one way, like a CNOT gate has a control right. qubit and target qubit. You can do it one way, but you actually can't swap them huh. because the, you know, the, the other way the connection isn't as great. So it looks like it's might be blocked from using that. So you have to think about those things and yeah, and how they're all connected. Um, you have to take that all, but it's a lot of graph theory. So I think for, mm. I actually studied this, uh, when going into my software job, I was doing a lot of graph theory and then I'm like, wait, this is just graphs and games and connections. Yeah. yeah and uh, and you oh, do the same thing. Yeah. yeah. I remember the buzzwords. Uh, I took a class in graph theory too. He's like Eulerian cycles, Hamiltonian cycles. Yes. <laughs> exactly. It. It's all there. And then you layer on top of that, like these algorithms have to do this. How do you minimize the okay. amount of like swap gates that you have to do and try and, and, and make make that really efficient so a lot of these systems do have these built-in right on ways to do that which is kind of cool that is really really fascinating man <laughs> wow okay so again we have so many more questions um and i won't be selfish i will i will i will not hijack the questions um <laughs> one from matt says i'm interested in doing with respect to quantum computing uh can you get jobs uh if you do theory in quantum computing yeah, I do have a lot of friends in theory, so I'm kind of jealous of, I, well, I was jealous of them uh, before quarantine because they'd always travel and mm. be like, all I need is a whiteboard and my computer and, you know, yeah. I'm stuck in the lab <laughs> with my hardware and, and doing all of that. Uh, yeah, it's possible in industry. So like I mentioned, a lot of people are doing quantum error correction stuff in, in theory. Mm. There's a really cool mix right now of that, like quantum and the computer science doing complexity stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so I think the biggest one I've seen for theorists is quantum error correction, quantum ML. So I know Google has a bunch of quantum L ML people in a very young field. So yeah. they're definitely hiring for that. Um, it never hurts to get your hands on some lab equipment, which I think is fun. <laughs> um, but also there's so, with all these open source, you know, yeah. you know quantum development kits and actually access to real computers, there's more and more quantum computer scientists being hired to do algorithms research with that. So mm. definitely a possibility. And again, I remember just 11 years ago, I, or I guess 10 years ago, I was the third year, I went to a physics conference uh -huh. and someone there I went up to a poster, they were doing superconducting qubits and I told them I was in neutral atoms and they're like, oh, so like, our coherence times are like totally unimpressive to you. Like we can't even do a gate now. And now we have these things connected to the cloud that people mm. can actually do code on. Wow. So 
definitely, definitely a lot of room uh, right now, I think, for people coming from a theory background, experimental, even people that don't have quantum backgrounds can get involved in quantum computing because there's a lot of work to be done Mm. in the mechanical engineering, the manufacturing Mm. side, electrical engineering. So it's been awesome to see people not isolated in the lab or the office anymore and actually talking and interacting with other disciplines and building like a real product. It seems like there's like a lot of back and forth between the theory and the experiment uh, when it comes to quantum computing. Is that true or no? No, uh, Not when I was an undergrad. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. (laughs) We were very separated by the floors from the theorists. They'd wander down sometimes to our basement dungeon and eat pizza with us and talk to them. (laughs) But yeah, there were collaborations. But yeah, now now more and more uh, there are the collaborations tightly knit. There's new ideas. You can test them quickly. And the the cycle is faster, it feels like to me. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Awesome. Great. Uh, Great question. so we have another question here um, that is a self-reported dumb question by Nathan D. He says, uh, but does, quote, observing the particle, unquote, just mean that the particle was interacted with through one of the fundamental forces? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Moving on. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, Olivia Lanes. Uh, we're Olivia. mutuals on Twitter. How are you doing, Olivia? <laughs> awesome. Um, she said, sup, guys. Um, uh, what is the first thing you would do with a quantum computer if you had one right now? Steal all the Bitcoin. Wow, that's a great answer. <laughs> wow. I didn't even know you could do that with quantum computing. Um, well, if we can break encryption, I have oh, a blog post about this, see. about yeah. how the Bitcoin encryption works and so how cool. quantum computers are a danger. Do you want to uh, plug your blog uh, real quick? Uh, because like uh, you do a blog, you have a YouTube channel, right? I mean, you're I know. up there. I'm working on it. You know, there's not a lot of time, but I'm trying to write things. Honestly, if I get a question more than two times, I try and write it down. Sure. Uh, so, so I have that reference. Uh, yeah, my blog is amarchinkova.com. Marchinkova spelled the way it sounds. So, yeah. you can check it out. The YouTube channel. Search for my name. It's there. <laughs> and yeah, I've been trying to get more into the the social media. Yeah, I know you're great. It. Yeah. Um, but no, I I don't know. There's just so many things. Like, if I had a real huge quantum computer, yeah, I just like. I just hug it. I would just give it a big yeah. hug. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I think I would just stare at it and cry. For a wow. little <laughs> I mean, this is 11 years of my life, right? Of course. No, I mean, that's in some sense, it's really beautiful. Um, uh, and it, my answer is, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know what to even do with it. I don't know. Maybe I'd try and run some code, see if it was faster. <laughs> like I, it, it's totally def- like. I don't. I don't even know what would be better. But now I know I'll steal Bitcoin. Okay. Um, <laughs> we have another question here um, from Mark Jackson. Says, "Tell us more about Bleximo and quantum chemistry." I don't know what Bleximo is. Yeah. So Bleximo is the company I work with. Oh. So we awesome. are a quantum hardware company as well. We have a little bit different uh, approach to what we're doing. So a lot of these companies are doing universal quantum chips and they're they're connected. We're doing what we call quantum ASICs, so algorithm specific quantum chips. 
Okay. So like I was mentioning about algorithmic mm -hmm. efficiency, if we can make a chip, that's also very efficient. Just for like a specific algorithm. For a specific algorithm, specific problem. So that's kind of our attack approach mm -hmm. with Blexmo, mm -hmm. and that's what we're doing there. That's really neat. Yeah. So I think I talked a little bit about quantum chemistry. Uh, so the variational quantum eigensolver, um, the idea there is, is that you want to map kind of electron interactions. Mm -hmm. And once you, that, that increases very, very quickly. So I think I, I was listening to a talk at one of these conferences and they're saying even a caffeine molecule simulating that right now, which has 23 valence electrons, I believe, is impossible on these computers and we already know a lot how about how caffeine works just from observations what i know how we... it works very well personally. <laughs> <laughs> one one day i'll drink coffee and i'll know how you feel oh my goodness she's flexing on I me i love energy. it <laughs> <laughs> no I'm, I'm very jealous of this um uh. and so what if we could simulate larger molecules so the idea is that eventually what if you could see how different drugs interact yeah uh, in the body without having to, you know, do these simulations or create the drug and actually like inject it into people. Oh, so that's kind of the idea there. And yeah, it's, it's a very cool field as well. And we think perhaps on the smaller noisy scale, this could start being possible once we get up to 50 to 100 qubits. So that's a much closer uh, point than right. breaking encryption. Yeah, but fair enough, you know. Uh, one step, one quantum step, uh, one might even be inclined to say quantum leap at a time. <laughs> uh, oh, wait, wait, I have a sound effect for that. I do. It's here somewhere. There we go. Okay, moving on. Um, uh, from Sunny NG um, says, as an undergrad in physics, uh, are there any subjects you guys recommend to study, uh, to study up on for an industry job, hopefully about quantum computing. Yeah, so take quantum. <laughs> <laughs> take quantum one, take quantum two, take quantum computing if you can. Anything with quantum wow. in the name will probably be useful at yeah, this point. Fair enough. What I wish I'd studied more was computer science. So I did work in software for a while, and so that has helped me. Physicists are not great coders. Let me say that. <laughs> pretty controversial here. But having now worked in industry, I've looked it back at the code I've written, and it's bad. <laughs> Being able to deal with this, like now, especially because we are working a lot with uh, people from different disciplines and real computer scientists that are not fond of our um, crazy, colleagues. crazy tactics that we do in code. <laughs> I recommend that. I do think something overlooked is definitely... Uh, communication and i'd say mm. but don't writing. like major in communication though right if you want to yeah okay <laughs> i mean you could uh and do different things but also study the quantum on the side but i think the most successful researchers and people in industry are people that know how to communicate and actually talk to other researchers people outside the field and explain things simply i think mm. a problem i've seen with academia is you know you say fancy words to make yourself seem smarter and <laughs> when you're trying to actually sell a product or again work with people feel stupid right. you know that doesn't work yeah yeah so i'd say that's a big skill um i if you want to work in experimental hands-on skills 
I sat in the robotics lab a lot and I think it taught me a lot and got me in mm. a lot of places because I could just work with my hands right and on. I just kind of had a feel of electronics already, even though I didn't study it. Mm-hmm. I could build, you know, circuits mm-hmm. and figure that mm-hmm. out, work, mm-hmm. work with all that mechanical, you know, mm-hmm. work in a machine shop and do that. Right. That's what I love to do. You know, yeah. building robots is, is super fun and it's helped me a lot in my industry journey. That's awesome. Wow. That's really great. Uh, I don't have any advice uh, for that. Um, just, uh, you know, quantum. I mean, that was the first thing that came to mind. It was take a <laughs> class with the word quantum. Unless it's like quantum consciousness, then don't take it. Um, <laughs> Does that exist in college? I'd be very sad. No, yeah, no, no. I don't. I, I don't. I don't. Think I do get a lot of messages actually on my Instagram. Oh, yeah. About like asking about those things. Let's put it to rest right here. No. Okay. <laughs> or so there's a lot of wow. things also i i get that i'm like because we can't experimentally show it right now it's just like not a relevant question um i'm trying to think of an example maybe i'll come back to it but yeah i mean i have like my own like like i mean there's just no reason to think that like quantum coherence would scale on the level of a human brain like when you know room temperature superconductors are a thing that's yeah it just doesn't make much sense at all did you see that uh april fool's archive post that was like this year yeah no i didn't see it room temperature superconductors (laughs) what we did is we lowered the temperature of the room (laughs) that's really funny (laughs) it was really it was really cute i like i hate april fools and that was adorable and i just i I laughed for a long time with that (laughs) i love that okay um so we have Alicio Felipe Jr. um with another question. Um he says could Anastasia uh, tell us who are and what do customers look for with quantum computers? So I guess like what do customers look for in quantum computers? And you know I went through startup life. I started a company and let me tell you that customers want you to solve a pain point. That's mm. all they want. Mm. They don't care how it's solved. Mm. They just want it, their problem solved. I see. Um, that's kind of the generic kind of, you know, right. answer there. But um, so I know, like I mentioned, pharma and finance companies, I think Goldman Sachs just announced that they opened up like a head of quantum position. They're mm-hmm. kind of building a research team there. So they're just trying to figure out like how quantum computing could help with finance applications. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, in the end, they you know, a quantum computer that works would be fantastic and one that solves their problems. Yeah. But they first need to figure out what problems they have, what value they have, and can quantum, quantum computers actually solve that? So we're we're working our way up for that. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. And what kind of uh, customers, I guess, like 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 what kind of people come you know to look for? Uh, I don't know, buy your stuff and like look for you, you know, look to you for research. Anyone that kind of wants to take a chance on new technology and has the money to okay, spend. Okay, fair enough. So uh, not so me. Quantum, yeah, so quantum computers <laughs> are very pricey. Um, yeah. You know, $10 million is not, you know, is very reasonable as a price for a quantum computer. Wow. So you're not going to have one in your kitchen. Uh-huh. Uh, in, in a in the future universe and a lot of companies probably won't be able to afford it which is why a lot of these uh startups right now are putting their quantum computers out in the cloud and mm. allowing it like access and paying for access and times and right. and and stuff like that so 
So yeah, so right now it's just about, you know, who can collaborate with a quantum company. Um, I'm trying to recall the list that I know IBM has put out of companies they're working with. They're working across a lot of industries and, and uh, trying to, you know, solve, solve the right. problems. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right on. Um, so what we're going to do um, is we're going to be right back in 10 minutes or no, 10, sorry, like two minutes. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah. Uh, and we hope that, you know, to get to everybody's questions here. And I hope during this little break, we can let those questions that have kind of come into your mind while Anastasia was talking um, kind of accumulate. And so, yeah, we'll be right back in just a second. Thanks to everybody who stayed tuned in. And 
is tuned in. Um, okay, so we're going to try and knock out some of these questions here. Um, so we have a, another question here from uh, Omer Shock says, how do you know if a quantum computer did anything quantum at all? Like, is there any way to verify it didn't solve the problem using only classical tools? Yeah, so there's a whole field of study uh, with this about how do you verify. I'm less familiar with that, but a most ideal case is actually something where the verification is classical, mm. right? So, so the cool thing about factorization is that multiplying two numbers together is really easy, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But factoring them is hard. So if a quantum computer did that, you could just multiply them back together classically and say like, okay, well, it got the correct answer and did it really quickly. Like that clearly something right. happened here outside of the, outside of that realm. Right. Um, yeah, I'm less familiar with the rest of that, but yeah, look up like the quantum verification and people are working on that because it's, it's a hard problem. Right. Awesome. That's wow. really awesome. Um, great question. Great answer. Um, so from Fulio, uh, how would quantum computing change medicine? Yeah, so I talked a little bit about that. So talking about the quantum chemistry and the drug discovery, it's mm -hmm. it's got a lot of potential. And hopefully if we can scale up the quantum computers, this can help us with drug development and, and figuring all that out. Interesting. And how, I guess, how is that, you know, like that they would, you know, that like, you could use quantum com computing to exploit that, I guess. Yeah, so this is what I mentioned with the, like the valence electrons, the interactions of the electrons scale oh. up so quickly. Like you could actually, you know, simulate that. Uh, like a chemical which, reaction in some sense. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And you can't do that right now no, in the classical yeah. system because it scales up so quickly. Yeah. And so the idea is, you know, one qubit could be one electron because, yeah. you know, electrons are right. got, got these properties. <laughs> yeah. It's very helpful uh, to That's simulate the goal, quantum right? systems one with qubit a quantum is one computer. electron, like in practice, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, so, so that would be a lot less bit qubits to the bits that you need to right. do that. So right. that's that's how that would go. Wow, awesome, that's that's so interesting. Um, okay, so another question from Matt, it's a follow up from his previous one, which I don't remember. He says, how do we network uh, for those type of software development jobs? Uh, what companies are hiring for quantum software engineers? So there's the quantum computing companies that are hiring that have internal engineers and also these companies that I mentioned that are starting to look into quantum technologies. There's actually a pretty cool resource, uh, the Quantum Daily. It's mm -hmm. it, They post a lot of um, blogs and I think podcasts on quantum stuff. They also just put up a job board a few months ago. So you can actually mm -hmm. take a look there and see what kind of you know people are hiring for, for quantum jobs. Other communities do exist as well. So a lot of the software development kits have Slack communities that you can join. For example, the Kiskit one, there's a huge Slack community and they always post meetup groups, jobs. You kind of get to know the players in the field and yeah. even, Keep in touch. I mean, we have people reaching out to us at our info at email and saying, I'm interested in the field and, you know, looking for mm -hmm. jobs. Never, you know, be scared to reach out to a company doing that. Um, I got my first quantum industry job. I found the post on AngelList. AngelList? So, yeah. Oh, Angie's List? A AngelList. So, oh, so it's, it's like, like a different. startup. It's a startup. Oh, I see. Yeah. So this was in 2014. Wow. We had quantum jobs posted even there. That's crazy. <laughs> Uh, right. On. Oh, and um, you said Quantum Daily. You're going to be on a podcast of theirs soon, right? 
Yeah, so I it's quantum computing now. Okay, yeah, quantum so computing I will now. be recording that podcast next week. So, oh, so it's not live. Not yet. Not okay. yet. We got a lot of quantum content coming up. Yeah, you know, yeah, quarantine. yeah there's enough. not there's not much to do here. I'm on my <laughs> laptop and I'm and I'm writing blog posts and filming stuff and it's awesome. been fun. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> okay. Um so Eigenbros says, uh, are there any quantum resistant algorithms in practice or in theory in existence? What is quantum resistant mean? Like 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 a yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so these are algorithms mm that can stand up to quantum computing attacks on encryption. So right now, like I mentioned, RSA and ECC elliptic curve oh, are vulnerable to quantum computing attacks, and it's very, very bad. Um, there's mm. another AES is also, it's weakened, but it's not fully vulnerable as RSA and elliptic curve. So mm. in 2000, 2018, what I What is believe, elliptic curve algorithm? I, I didn't... Uh... Like, because I know, like, the RSA en encryption algorithm, but, like, what's the yeah. elliptic algorithm that you're talking about? I'll have to... So, yeah. So, it's another method. I'm, I'm not a math background, so probably someone can explain elliptic curves much better, but I believe it's... Is it finding two tangent... No. It's, like, finding two points... Yeah, something I mean, like, like that. elliptic curves, I know, are like, a big mess because you get, like, Jacobi elliptic functions whenever you try and solve, like, the actual simple harmonic oscillator. Mm -hmm. And so I imagine maybe, you know, it's like using the, I, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. So, but fair enough. It's, it's a very, very well encrypted thing. Yeah. It's, it's well encrypted now. Oh, Less okay. So. Fair enough. So it was actually funny. I was in grad school, I guess, 2013, 2014. And the la the 10 years before that, the NSA had put out these calls being like, RSA is going to be broken. Like, this is very bad. You should move to elliptic curve. Mm -hmm. And then quantum computing started getting the time. Agencies were putting more money mm -hmm. in. And they basically put sent out a press release being like, so my bad, guys. Uh, we figured out the elliptic curve is even worse against quantum computers. Oh, no. um, we'll let you know at some point what we figured out for our next encryption algorithm. Oh, no. So two years ago, I guess 2018, they put out a call for proposals for quantum-resistant algorithms to try and figure out what's mm. going to be the next. I see. What, what can actually defend against us. So, yeah, so there's a few different types uh, there that are showing promise. So lattice-based lattice cryptography is one of those. Mm. The, the problem is when you look at it is you want it to be fast, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't want to slow down the internet because the encryption is taking time. So right, so right. if you're talking about doubling key size, you know, that might slow it down. A, like AES, because it's weakened by mm -hmm. the bit size is cut in half. Like what if we just double it, then it's as strong as we have now. But I believe it's a symmetric cipher. And so those are slower. And, you know, that's why we use RSA and elliptic curve right now. And so, yeah, so... Lattice base is kind of one of the categories of algorithms people are looking into. So now we need to check on speed, like true security. Wow. How do we how do we even upgrade these systems, right? So again, it yeah. took ten years to upgrade everyone from RSA to elliptic curve, and then they're saying, "My bad." <laughs> it takes so much money, time. So yeah. it's almost like a separate problem now, where you go, "Well, what if we find out?" You know, there's another competing system that comes out that might break this right. cryptography. Right. Like, how do we actually upgrade? systems fast so yeah yeah one of the interesting things is like well on the web even though it's pretty slow you just you know you have your wow. banking password it's password is badly encrypted we now have a magical quantum computer that does everything mm -hmm. we upgrade the encryption reset your password you're fine 
So, but the interesting thing about that is that Bitcoin is different, right? So you have these wallets and access keys that mm. are kind of permanent. You have like a permanent chain. Okay. So it's actually more vulnerable because you can't just like you'll have to move all the coins to a new wallet, oh, re-encrypt them. Okay. And so that's actually a much harder transition, I think, on the cryptocurrency side yeah. to upgrade uh, versus just, you know, internet communication. I mean, the internet communication has a problem being around so long and, right. you know, I'm sure a bank would take forever to upgrade their systems. But yeah, so the, there's people thinking of that. I think they, they're planning on narrowing down the potential list of candidates by 2021, 2022, mm. and hopefully have like a final chosen algorithm by 2024 was what i saw on the press release wow man there's so it's like this whole world here you know i didn't even know about uh but it's so so fascinating um it's been crazy for me because i started in like such a small field and then i learn more and more and more and there's there's so many things that can be done and the consequences and it's also interesting and I want to learn more about of all course, of it. <laughs> of course, yeah. But, you know, you got to make the sacrifice for learning things in depth to, you know, kind of use them and push forward. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, Andrew Dodson in the house. What's up, homie? Wow. Okay. Um, uh, let's see. Okay. I, I, I think we're doing actually a better job, you know, uh, of answering these questions more quickly. This is good. Uh, we have another one here from Matt. Uh, he says, are there any known problems uh, that can be solved on current quantum computers, quantum computers, uh, that have an advantage over classical computers? Yeah, I think we talked about that earlier, right? Yeah, so th- there's a few algorithms and, and problems that we've seen potential. The it's it's almost like this verification. It, we're we're kind of still in the stage of verifying. So that Google paper that came out um, mm-hmm. saying that they solved this problem faster than any supercomputer could. Um, it's kind mm-hmm. of, I think right now mm-hmm. we're mostly solving kind of toy problems. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Right now, um, but once we hit a certain amount of qubits, and and that's really the goal right now. Extend the qubits, mm-hmm. lengthen lengthen these like fundamental properties. So we have mm-hmm. what we call Divincenzo criteria for quantum computers, which is like what is a good quantum computer. Mm. Number of qubits is great, right? And you want a lot of qubits, but they have to be good qubits, right? right. They have to have long yeah. fidelity and right. coherence time and all that. Right. So you can't just look at that. And so. We're, and the industry is kind of pushing in all these directions and mm-hmm. but it but it shows promise right so we're seeing these algorithms that can be done on small amounts um, but you just need to scale up you need more qubits to actually have more power so again like I, right. I mentioned useful uh, there's qubits, yeah. useful qubits right. enough of them so uh, I think you can do you can find this like ground energy state but you can do it for like you know like a tiny like two two atom molecule right <laughs> yeah. which you can we you can do on your phone you know this calculation <laughs> yeah so you can see that it works and the quantum computer can do it right. it's just not useful because it can do it better right. but once we start scaling up we do larger and larger and larger uh, molecules and has it been proven that like 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 in principle that um that these algorithms would be more optimal if like this you know the you had enough qubits per, you know, uh, enough useful qubits, I guess? Yes. Yeah. So there's okay. algorithms that have that. There's others that we don't know. And and again, as we go into them, there's so caveats for right, reality, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess I was just saying in principle, like, let's say, you know, coherence time's not so much an issue and things like that. Like, you don't have to, like, like just say you had, like, this, like, ultimate, you know, quantum computer that could give you kind of as, like, keep things coherent as long as you want and whatever nice properties you want. Like, is there just a purely kind of mathematical way? Or, I mean, has it been, I guess, is my question. Of yeah, I mean, the, the purely mathematical way right now is the only way we have. Yeah, right. right. Okay. That's why there's so much promise, I guess. Right. Yeah. Fair enough. That's why people are so excited. Yeah, no, okay. That's beautiful. That's awesome. Okay, so people freaking out over Andrew Dotson being in the chat. Um, <laughs> let's see. Um, uh, so Matt, unfazed by Andrew Dotson being in the chat, has another question. Um, <laughs> uh, what math background do you recommend for quantum computing? It's all matrix math. Mm. So what I say about physics is that I didn't learn calculus three until I took electrodynamics. I didn't really learn calc, <laughs> calc one until I took classical mechanics. Yeah, sure. I didn't really know, you know, learn yeah. matrix and linear algebra until I took a quantum class. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And a good part of that, you know, in case quantum computers never become a thing, you'll be really good at deep learning because that's also all matrix math. So you have a fallback career plan. Wow. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I agree 100%. Like, anything quantum, um, you know, linear algebra is your friend. Um, I think in terms of implementation, uh, there are every, you know, all these Hilbert spaces, like, fi finite dimensional. So everything can be put into, you know, a nice big matrix. Um, whereas in principle, you know, you'll kind of, in any quantum mechanics class, you'll learn about uncountable you know un uncountably infinite dimensional hilbert spaces things like that which is all great to know but i mean you know in terms of practice you know you have yep. so many qubits you have so many possible states right. and who cares how big the matrix is um it's still finite and you could find the eigenvectors and yeah. off we go i think my biggest tip there if you're starting from scratch is not to get overwhelmed by the notation so we have our own direct notation <laughs> right Yes. It's just vectors. It's just matrices. Don't right. freak out when you see all these crazy symbols in there because I feel yeah. like that happens. Like I don't, I don't know what's happening. You know, in the beginning, it's some of these definition glossary right. terms, right. and you know, you'll learn it. I promise. It's all matrices. In it's the honestly end. like it is to me the most beautiful formalism I've ever seen in a physical subject. Is the you know is the Dirac formalism of quantum mechanics. You know, matrix elements between eigenvalues. It's just to me, it's there. There is no other notation to use. Take the arrow off the letter, the bold base letter, and just you know, adopt the uh, adopt the notation. But until we get there, until we get there, we'll be good. We can get there. Just push through those notation at the beginning, and then you'll be talking <laughs> yeah. in our crazy physicist language. <laughs> I love it. Okay, uh, so Matt has another question here. He says, uh, "What is entanglement slash Bell's theorem?" and the story behind these concepts. So I don't know if that's, I mean, entangle, I mean, entanglement is certainly related to, you know, what you at least did. Um, so I'm going to kind of hijack and mold this question into uh, entanglement is kind of entanglement, uh, a big part of quantum computing and your research in it. Is that kind of what you think is that's a, because from what I remember, it's kind of a huge part. Yeah. It's, was it, I don't remember, was a Feynman that called it like, this is the concept that makes quantum computing a yes. thing. Uh, I, I don't know if it was Feynman, but I mean, actually I was on uh, a nightcap here with uh, two other people last night and, like, uh, and Michael Waterbury, a colleague here at UCI, had a great point saying, you know, it's, it's not necessarily about quantization. It's that when you have two different systems, you know, 
uh, two different Hilbert spaces. The new Hilbert space is the tensor product, the direct product of the yes. Hilbert spaces. That's what makes it entanglement. That's what makes it happen. Right, right. And you can't separate the entanglement out. You exactly. can't separate the states, states exactly. out. And that's the key there, right? They're, they're interconnected so closely, and that's the fundamental kind of way that quantum computers are different. Right. Yeah. Um, what about Bell's theorem? Do you ever run into, I mean, Bell's theorem is, I, I feel like that's just more of a kind of proof, proof of concept thing like there. Yeah. Um, so, oh my, this was like 10 years ago where uh, I was really deep into this and it's been a while, but, um, someone else can probably explain this a lot better than I can at this point, but it's showing that, let me see. It's showing that. If this were a Joe Rogan podcast, we put it all, you know, on like on the screen for everybody. I mean, the idea is, I mean, I think, you know, behind Bell's inequality, I, I don't know how it relates to quantum computing whatsoever, but the idea is that, you know, given certain conditions, you can't reproduce classically, uh, you know, like no classical theory that has to do with billiard balls, you know, at the smallest level could ever reproduce um, the results of quantum mechanics. Yeah. But so, I don't know if it's something you need. Yeah, so I, I mean, uh, you have a Bell state, right? Oh, quantum, yeah, yeah. Quantum yeah. computing, which is like that yeah. that pair, that entangled mm -hmm, pair. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so I think maybe that's what. Oh, maybe he has here. another theorem, but yeah, I mean, as far as I know, I mean, talking about Bell states, things like that have nothing to do with Bell's theorem. I yeah. could be wrong okay. there, but yeah, Bell yeah, states. Yeah, so are, so Bell's yeah. theorem, Bell states. Yeah, yeah. Different. Yeah, he he had his you know hand in the cookie jar of quantum mechanics for a while. Yeah. Um, then there's Bell's inequality. Yes, 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 so, yes. Yeah. Fair, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I could be wrong about what we call Bell's theorem, Bell's inequality, but, you know, we all, we all, you know, we'll move forward. Um, okay, so another question says, how far in years are we from using practical quantum computers? Ooh, that's a, that's a tricky question that nobody wants to answer. The <laughs> answers range between two years and never. So, uh, the, the only right answer is give me enough money and find out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I hate to say it depends. I can give you the statistical answer that I think yeah. there's, there's actually this really cool paper where someone put together all these, like the growth rates over the past few years and all these other concepts. And I think they came to plus or, well, they didn't do this for practical quantum computing. I believe they did this for specifically breaking encryption, mm -hmm. which would be some very practical application right and it was like 19 years plus or minus five or something like that okay that's not too bad but that, but actually that's like a big deal if yeah gen is broken in 14 years or 19 years like we have to start soon to start yeah you know, yeah that over um but it, but again who knows I, when you're talking about practical i think this is this is also another industry thing i get kind of intense about is they go we're the first this like what does first quantum computer mean right. is it the first in like entangled you know yeah states is it the first like you know gate fidelity above this is it the first like is 50 like does it have to mm -hmm. show a practical application above it? it you know there's all these factors so everyone can call themselves the first quantum <laughs> computer if they really want to they can find some criteria to do this so I think people are talking about like in five to 10 years, we'll definitely have some sort of like practical application. I think 
assuming everything goes well and you're kind of on the optimistic end of that that's right, what right. people that's what people see but who knows you know i mean like it could be sooner like you said plus or minus five years 19 years you heard it here first physics after hours <laughs> with anastasia Marchenkova. all right so we have another question um man we have so many more questions uh so this one's a bit long uh from nathan d says uh why is it that quantum computing will probably not replace classical computers entirely let's just leave it there because i think that's a good question yeah that's a really good question um well it, it, you could simulate a classical computer on a quantum computer mm -hmm. but why it's so expensive and our so, classical computers are hmm. cheap and easy and we have them why right. would you want to add two numbers if you don't have <laughs> any sort of <laughs> thing there i think one of my first blog posts was called so when can i play video games on my quantum computer it's like probably never because there's just no point it's gonna heat like, up it, and all these things get in the way and like but it's i not guess gonna help you even if you had right. like infinite coherence times like why would right. you do this you're gonna they're gonna be working in parallel like working together and you're right. gonna have the quantum computer for specific problems and you know the classical computer right. for for other things they're pretty good gpus are a pretty amazing thing right. probably have like tensorflow process like processing units yeah. as well doing like crazy ml within our phones pretty soon there's yeah. there's a ton they can do and, and that's what we say you know you'll see this term qpu so it's like <laughs> kind of the analog right you're gonna have your cpu with your qpu yeah. and they're gonna kind of work together yeah sure you know i mean to me like that kind of like from what I understand about quantum computing, like that's a very similar question to being like, when when will my camera be able to record, you know, 150 frames per second when like nobody can ever tell the difference. Like it really won't make a difference. Why would you ever want 150 frames per second unless yeah. you're going super, super, super slow-mo. But like, you know, us humans, like, you know, who aren't just like into recording random slow-mo stuff, like video games, anything in real time, you won't need it for. Yeah. 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 There's And they're expensive, right? Quantum computers right. are really expensive, so you just you want to use them to solve the big problems. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So we're kind of paying off the universe, you know, to like solve the Rima hypothesis and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Okay, so uh, we have. Let's see. Where's I'm looking for a question mark. Um, any tips on how to get in touch with quantum computing companies from outside the U.S.? Greetings from Mexico. Oh, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, there's actually a huge amount of quantum companies outside the US. So definitely not necessary. I had this issue as well in graduate school. I started in 2013, I was not a US citizen. And I oh, went wow. to the University of Maryland in College Park, which is 20 minutes from DC. Right on, and that's I, where I'm from. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, from DC. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I had a problem wow. getting into labs because it turns out Russians are kind of not Right. I mean, greatly appreciated right now. <laughs> well, that was because I mean, that's because most people like who are faculty now grew up during the Cold War, I imagine. No, it's purely funding. I mean, honestly, oh, really? like if, if you get grants from certain agencies, mm. you need to be a U.S. citizen. Oh, and there oh, are a lot true. of projects just being near D.C. Fair enough. That yeah. were under that. So, yeah, I had a little trouble. I had, when I got my U.S. citizen, uh, when I had my exam, it was actually really funny. They were like, why are you always in so many national labs and like <laughs> stuff funded by DOD and DOE? Like, do you want to like, just tell us why you've managed to get yourself into these situations. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, so it's tougher there. 
Um, I see, I any see. anything with government funding. The cool thing is, this industry is usually privately funded, mm-hmm. and so you have more of an opportunity to do that. So there's a ton of companies in Europe, uh, a ton of startups out there in the Netherlands and uh, Switzerland that are doing quantum computing all, all over the world, really. There's, there's mm-hmm. a ton going on in Japan. So I was um, at this quantum hackathon in Japan. I was at the quantum ha- hackathon in Switzerland with IBM and just like tons, yeah, tons of quantum computing companies. Take a look at the job boards, like I mentioned on the Quantum Daily. What about Angel also? Is that not a website anymore? I think that's more US-based. Oh, okay. okay. Honestly. Yeah, I I think that's a bigger thing. I might have expanded for now. Um, Bleximo does post on AngelList. I think in Mexico they call it AngelList. So maybe look at... (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. That was an awful joke. (laughs) Wow. Um, And then, uh, yeah, talk to universities. You know, if a university has a big quantum research, the players on the field mm-hmm. in that country and they can kind of connect you with with the startups out there awesome awesome so we have a uh, another question here by eigenbros but i think we kind of covered that a bit earlier um when you like when you were talking about uh, how can i tell that a um a quantum computer did something quantum i feel like you know that's a like you spoke to that uh, question by eigenbros asking how can we tell when a qubit's in superposition um well, I mean, I, I feel like the number one thing you would do is you just run statistics on it. You put it you in the same identical state. You'd see if you get, you know, the, yeah. the weighting that you put. Yeah, exactly. So you'll see in a lot of these, when you're actually running the algorithm on a quantum computer, you'll run it many times. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, even on the simulators, you can do like shots, right? And so you'll do hey, a thousand shots. We're all about here. We're all about that at Physics After Hours. <laughs> <laughs> don't take one shot for every shot you do on the quantum computer you will die oh no i agree i mean we're just you know we we drink in moderation here for except if there's anybody who's listening please drink responsibly and stay home um yeah so exactly <laughs> awesome awesome great okay um so we're making a good dent in these comments so we say uh so from Sharon says, uh, is something like Moore's law, yeah, I actually had a question like this, is something like Moore's law expected to hold for quantum computers? Uh, or are other things like decoherence more of a problem of qubits at the moment? Like, yeah, I mean, uh, the number of qubits at the moment. That was kind of my question is that, you know, is it seems like quantum computing is exempt to Moore's law in some sense. So far. So far, right, fair enough. So but not in principle. Do do we know if we're gonna ever hit a li- uh, limit in the coherence time, and so we can only get certain amount of gates? In principle, no, right? I mean, in principle, yeah, we don't know, but right. there there's a lot of things that could go on, um, and yeah, I mean, we'll number of qubits, like I mentioned, you'll see a lot of pop signs saying like we have this many qubits, and you go cool, that means mm. nothing without all these other factors. So I would say fabricating bad qubits is easy making good qubits is hard and i and most people are focused on i mean you have to be focused on all the other aspects to scale up your qubits so high quality qubits high quality qubits only right on awesome so uh andrew dodson says great really interesting talk thanks thanks y'all for you know y'all are great um in every way shape and form uh thank you andrew um so uh mr Nicolio 96 says is the number of qubits directly proportional to the quote-unquote matrix size you mentioned in general that's yeah 
update. Yes. Right? Yeah. And by n, and mm-hmm. being the number of qubits. Right on. Right on. Oh, okay, so he's saying, or more basic, what is a qubit? <laughs> <laughs> a qubit is a quantum bit. So we have our regular zero one bits, and this is a quantum bit. Yeah. So perfect. So um, let's see. So uh, we say uh, no. Okay. Um, we have. Man, did I try and pronounce this name before? Um, it says Bell's theorem proves that there is no hidden variables explaining EPR paradox. Yes, I think oh, yeah, that's, Bell's, yeah, Bell's yeah. inequality. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. So that's no local hidden variables theorem. Frankly. And Bell's inequality. I don't know if I'm set up if I what I call the inequality theorem. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, this is all live. You get to see you know the best side of us. Uh, or, hey, and we yeah. don't know everything, and we use different terms. Yeah, and I, I think that's what I noticed as well. Like, I had some <laughs> professors who really, who learned things in a different way, mm. and so they taught in a different way. And I just like didn't know some terminology. Yeah, I mean, and that's others, like, honestly, like you totally different ones. Yeah, like like honestly, <laughs> like 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 yeah, like I may get my you know mad at myself for like. I don't know, not knowing like a fundamental intuition or knowing something deep, but I will never get mad at myself for like just not knowing what something's called. <laughs> Biggest thing, best thing you can do in life is just be humble and say, and it's okay. Sometimes you forget. Sometimes the words aren't coming out and, and we're live. So yeah. it's like, you know, a whole different thing where you're trying to sure, like yeah. on a Friday night, <laughs> get this information out of your head. And, is it Friday? Like, Holy hell. Good Lord. It's a, Friday. Wow. These don't exist anymore. <laughs> no, it's, it's been a tough few weeks. Yeah, we're we're living yeah. on a Mobius strip, coming yeah. back to the same place. Yeah, but but also I do see that in people coming out, starting an industry, it's okay to ask questions. Mm-hmm. It's okay mm-hmm. to ask the most basic things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, just because you learned it one way, maybe that didn't stick with you. Like someone else may explain it differently. Mm-hmm. Like it's, and the, and that's why I think science communication is so important right, right. because the way I explain it, it will be different than you explain it, and someone may have more background than I do someone has right. more of your background and will connect with exactly. different audiences exactly one of the honestly like one of the hardest things for me uh, when I was learning quantum mechanics was like because uh, I was watching like before my quarter uh, in quantum mechanics I was watching the MIT open courseware lectures and the dude like, he just kept saying eigen this eigen that you know and I'm like bro like what is this and you know I just kind of sat down and like I found this great article I can't remember where it was we're saying this is all an eigenstate means eigen just means that that and people throw eigen around everywhere but you know once you know what it means fundamentally then it'll be you know. have you have you seen that like meme that's like physicists are gay and asks us to, asks us to explain what spin is <laughs> I haven't seen that but that's funny <laughs> But it's true. I I think I learned this in third year where I realized all these guys around me were like saying these fancy words. And I was like, I can't, you know, I I feel like I can't explain that to someone like they're five. And so it means I don't know it. Then I realized they don't actually know what they're talking about. (laughs) Like they're just parroting these words. And uh, I'm working on a YouTube video right now on some of these fundamental concepts. And it's. Oh, I love that. That's a great idea. Honestly been like frustrating for me because I'm like. You know, I, I saw a tweet somewhere. They're like, oh, yeah, this is super easy. This is a tensor product of like mm-hmm. he, this, this. And I'm like, nobody who's coming in new to this will know what that means. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. drilling down so far back is like, yeah. it's tough, but it's necessary if we want to get more people involved in quantum computing. And we need to, right? So the idea, we've talked about this at conferences. Mm-hmm. How many quantum mm-hmm. physicists are there in the world? 
not you know if quantum computing becomes a widespread thing not enough to run all the machines not enough to do all the work yeah Yeah. Yeah. we need to teach computer scientists Mm -hmm. to be useful in the field and we can't tell them like go get a phd in physics we need to be able to help that (laughs) and we found that you know at, at the startups i worked on that's one of the things we run internal training sessions for people and being like well you're working on this but here are quantum concepts that you should know. Here are terms that you're going to hear in this yeah, space. Right, like you should, right. And we do that training internally, and we're going to need to do that like a lot more in this, in that quantum era. Yeah, no, I mean, that's really smart. I mean, like, I, I commend you for trying to, you know, put into plain English kind of spin edition. Yeah. Um, because in my, I, from my understanding, there's really no classical analog, but I mean, there's definitely ways to make it more digestible and just giving people the facts rather than saying, this is why this happens. You know, yeah. just saying you take two spin one halves. Oh, you know, well, you get one zero minus one. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I um, I mentioned to you, but I used to work at Coursera. So I spend a lot of time actually working on pedagogy and especially with online education mm. and it was the first time I'd been at a university where the professors mm-hmm. like really cared about teaching <laughs> and doing that really well. Yeah. And you know, you come you in in that space you have students from so many different backgrounds mm-hmm. and diverse backgrounds too, right? So there's one training I would run workshops for professors and say, "Hey, you're doing a baseball analogy. Guess what one country in the world does baseball?" And like <laughs> press don't, right? Um, you know, and just like sports analogies, <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe right, right. less or women like poker get analogies. Them. Like, I mean, there's like, like, I mean, like a lot of people, like, I remember like hearing, like there was, uh, one of my, uh, professors was like, he was telling me and he was like, just going on about how he tried to make a poker analogy once. And somebody f- asked him, was like, like, <laughs> like, like, what's a full house, you know, like, <laughs> um, yeah, it's really tough too, when you're looking yeah. at that kind of background that's kind of the place where i'm trying to come from and go okay yeah and in some ways sometimes that also frustrates people who are further along in the field because you go like right you need to be like look this is a bad analogy i understand course, it's not course, perfect and, and you see this on twitter right. all the time right yeah. it's like someone's yes, like i see it Let's all the time exactly I, right? yes like, <laughs> i see it all the time trust me yeah it's like <laughs> Yeah, it's like frustrating because you're like, I know it's not exactly right, but it's enough of a framework. And what I've seen also as a good thing is like you build on analogies and you go, here's a simple analogy. Yeah, it's kind of wrong. Right. And you build on it and you build on it. And then you can get to, you know, a full understanding and you have those analogies to fall back to. Right. Um, Yeah. So it's it's tough. And yeah, like there's there's a lot I think I think quantum needs to kind of take a step back. And and I've I've loved the community is is working on that more um, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of work yeah absolutely <laughs> okay so we're gonna probably call five ten minutes here um but i just want to say um if you've enjoyed this podcast with uh me and special guest um <laughs> anastasia marchenkova um she has been absolutely awesome um please give this video a thumbs up give us uh, a subscribe and uh also uh for anastasia's awesome video coming out give her a subscribe as well and she is at anastasia marchenkova on youtube <laughs> yeah just search for me i think the the channel handle is anastasia quantum anastasia quantum fair enough fair enough <laughs> okay quantize quantize your education not entirely though um okay let's see man all these questions is awesome okay so we have brie edwards uh says because okay okay there's there's kind of a war going on uh going in the 
people talking about being creepy and that's fine. Where's where's Matt? Matt, you always ask great questions. Matt, I'm going to find you. Okay, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to kick back since the, the comment section is kind of a... <laughs> you know, kind of a uh, a, a, a war. Um, so what? Um, you know, let's call this uh, armchair talk. You know, five ten minutes. Um, so what? Uh, where do you see yourself in five to ten years? Ooh, I don't. That's a tough one. I I've been really lucky in my life. Like I mentioned, um, actually, I don't know if I mentioned this yet, but I actually dropped out of my PhD. So I never finished because I got the opportunity to go work for a quantum computing startup. And And what made that more appealing to you? Like than finishing your PhD? Yeah. So I, I actually started a company between undergrad and grad school. And it just happened. I had a very social network, Mark Zuckerberg story, where I crashed the servers at Georgia Tech one night <laughs> uh, with my co-founder and a computer science professor who had a company found out about us and said, "Here's a check. You're starting a company. Go." Really? And it, yeah, it it was crazy. I'd never thought of doing something like that. It. I had a plan. I thought I was going to be a physics professor. I thought I was going to do the PhD. Right. And I said, you know, this is an opportunity and a check and I've never done anything mm-hmm. like this in my life and I'm going to do it. Wow, and that's amazing. So, yeah, so I deferred my admission to graduate school. So you can do that. You can you can take a year, some offer, even two years deferral. And I started this company. We got the check. We raised funding, pivoted a few times, ended up not really succeeding. We were acquired by another company mm. in the space and I went, well guess i'll go back to grad school <laughs> and so <laughs> and you continue. yeah i mean i think that's something that like is important to say just like kind of slightly off topic is that you can defer uh yeah. in grad school and you can uh take like i i found that out is that if you you know think you have a you can actually i think at least at uci you can go for a year you know mm-hmm. and just come back and continue your phd exactly and i think it's a great experience like working in industry is nothing unlike and when we interview people at bleximo there's i i say that i'm like we look like an academic lab but the pacing is different mm. you know we do results mm. we're kind of agile you, you'll have more of a you know you have the results you can't just like do the whole advisor checks in with you like once every two months with like with some people right we're, we have different goals so we're pushing in different ways mm. and so it's going to look the same, but it's going to feel very different and just like preparing you right. for that. And, and so, so I think do, you, it's a, do you think it's more intense or less intense than like regular academia in terms of in quality of life? In, in different ways. Um, I mean, they we pay better in an industry <laughs> <laughs> than grad school. Um, in some way, I, I think graduate school can be very, I've seen people take it very chill and then they take eight years to finish. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, but, time, and then yeah. they stress themselves out a little bit because it's just so, um, yeah, it's just different. But then again, like it depends on the support you have of your advisor. I had an mm-hmm. amazing advisor who checked in, who wanted to do that. But some people mm-hmm. have advisors that are completely hands off. And so you have the stress of like not knowing what to do. Mm-hmm. Whereas for us day to day, you say you have this task. Yeah. I need it by tomorrow or I need it by next week. Get, or like give me 80 percent. tell me you know every day we have stand up and you right, say what right. are what did you do yesterday what are your blockers what are you going to do today mm. that's a different level of intensity um sometimes the problems are easier yeah. sometimes they're harder and it just depends um you so know, yeah, I mean, that, yeah i mean that does sound pretty intense you know but i mean like 
And I think that's maybe specific to, you know, each company, you know, mm-hmm. is that is how intense they're going to be. And I mean, for a exactly. startup, you know, you've got to, you know, you've got to be, you know, have a kind of high level intensity and like create the sense of camaraderie and we're doing this together, you know, let's, you know, yeah. let, let's all get rich. <laughs> you know? And hopefully build a huge quantum computer that can do amazing things. Oh yeah, we can do that on the way too. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but it's nice to actually have my own apartment instead of roommates. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Actually, um, you know, all my roommates went home for the quarantine, so I'm living the life right now. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Going back to roommates in grad school was a tough, yeah. tough situation. Yeah, fair enough. Um, where was I? Oh, yeah. So I, I dropped out, I guess. What was the question? Um, I think it was... Uh, oh. oh. Oh, it was from me. Yeah. Five five to ten years. Yeah, five oh, yeah. to ten so years. Fair on, enough. Yeah. I was going on my spiel because I just... I started this company. I had no idea. I went into grad school. I got back into grad school and I actually... The pace was too slow for me. So mm. I noticed that a lot of the people I want to work with weren't in the lab. So mm. it, it kind of felt to me five years of sitting in a lab doing the same thing I'd already been doing for three years I see, yeah. in undergrad. I wanted, I wanted an experience where I could learn more stuff and be more interdisciplinary and mm-hmm. I wasn't finding that. So wow. I started looking around. I'd, I, I was doing some software freelance remote work at that point, really enjoyed software, got into that. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I found this quantum computing job out in Berkeley. They said, you need a PhD. I applied anyway. So let that be a lesson. I'll yeah, always yeah. apply. And but I, but I did have experience running a company, right? right and right. so that helped me out of just being used to that entrepreneurship and the pace of the startups. Right, and, right. and having actually already been in the lab for three years before that, I did have wow. hands-on experience. And, you know, my big line as a physicist, when it was really hard to get a job, I said, I don't know this yet, but I can learn. The thing that physics oh, I love that is that I can learn stuff really quickly. And honestly, that's a skill that will help you always. So I, I, I've been taking opportunities as they come. So like five to 10 years, I could see myself, you know, hopefully, you know, quantum is still a thing and I'm still in it. I'd love to be in the thick of things. Right. I really want to continue on this education thing. Mm having worked at Coursera and working in educational technology, I think it's really important to be a part of that and talk to people. And I enjoy doing that so much and teaching and getting people excited about it. I think some of the best parts of my day, I had a couple high school girls reach out to me saying like, I'm interested in quantum. Can we talk? And I'm like, of course, like, <laughs> first I'm going to talk to you. I didn't yeah, have someone like good. me and I would have loved it. And that, that brings me joy every day. So maybe that, you know, maybe I'll get like pulled into some deep learning stuff. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll start another company. Maybe, maybe I'll go back and finish my PhD. <laughs> I, I think they give you 10 years to come back. Do they? So. I didn't know that. Yeah, wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, well, Anastasia, you are honestly, I mean, so impressive, so inspirational um, and just such an interesting person to talk to. Um, <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I think we're definitely going to go off on that, uh, just because that was awesome. Uh, yeah. Thanks again to Anastasia. Uh, and we will see you all again. All right. Okay. Bye. And stay inertial. Bye.